This podcast is presented by Rabbi Parrots Munchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Uh, I have friends all over the world now, chiefly you guys in Australia. And when I when people meet people they really love, I think your brain automatically says, I want to live with them forever. I want to be around them. I want to just, you know, be able to spend all my time with people who are like-minded and quality. But alas, you know, we spread all over the world. And one of the things that occurred to me during the pandemic was imagine it happened in the 90s. And we'd have no Zoom and no tel- and the telecommunications would be $30 a minute to call to Australia. And it was just, you know, just thinking about my own childhood in the late 80s and 90s. And like, if it would have happened, then it would have been just so um, depressing on every level. There'd be no silver linings whatsoever. And yet today it happens to us and it's really horrific and challenging. But yet I get to keep in touch with people all over the world, my family, my friends, my community. And uh, that that itself, that I can just text you and WhatsApp you and be in touch, has made uh, has made it even more fruitful that I know so many amazing people because I get to like really be connected all over and realize that we're all going through different things and connect with them and we all encourage each other and I've definitely received so much strength from you guys over the years so I'm just grateful for the for the ability to be so instantly connected. Oh, thank you, Paris. We've loved loved it as well, and it has been a. Uh... I mean, it's astonishing that everybody in the world went through this at the same time. It's such a, um, uh, such a, such a, a unique event. When we were, you know, we were connecting with yourself. We, we were connecting with people in Argentina and Canada and in Europe, and um, you know, it's it it kind of bonded everybody together. Uh, yeah. Again, it, it sort of slowed everyone down and bonded everyone together uh, once, once, uh, once we all fell into it. Well, we met coming up uh, ten years ago, a little more, eleven years ago, and uh, it's an easy for me thing to do. I'm turning forty, and I had my thirtieth birthday party at your house. We had known each other about <laughs> a year, so it's pretty, pretty simple. Uh, the the timeline. And uh, when I met Lara, we had just opened the center in San Francisco in the North Beach area. And I met somebody who was, I call a co-visionary, you know, we really, really needed uh, um, somewhere to put the creativity. You had all these things going on, but you helped me uh, put together the most incredible space called the Rabbi Study. And we did such amazing things out of there. Uh, what was it like for you? I don't know what level. I, I never really asked you like, oh, how deeply engaged were you with the rabbi in Australia? I know I don't ask people that. I know because I'm very cool and sometimes other rabbis aren't. So I don't want to pigeon one rabbi versus the other. To me, it's really it's really just here we are in San Francisco, meeting new people, creating new vibes. Uh, take me back. Like uh, it was just warm times over there. What was it like uh, getting involved with a startup community in North Beach? Uh, it was such a magic time. You could just feel the entrepreneurial spirit in the air. And I think everyone was coming from their hometowns into this new place away by themselves. There was just a, there was a thrilling feeling. And because of the scale of San Francisco and how tangible it was, you really felt you could get involved and you could sink your teeth into what was going on from a grassroots level. And because we've been away from our our family for a while, we were yearning for that spirituality that could sort of ground us 
And when we met you and Miriam, it was just like kindred spirits. There was a warmth. There was an authenticity. There was like no arrogance. It was just, I don't know, like-mindedness. And I don't know, it just felt so right to just start that relationship and to see where things could go. And when we met Brian and all these key figures who just quality, incredible people, it just was like, I don't know, it was just such an amazing moment in time that I will never forget. Walking to your place from our place, the glow of the lights coming from all the bay windows. It was just beyond. Yeah. We, we'd, we'd just got married at the time. Absolutely. So it was an important time for us that it was, you know, whilst, yes, we had, um, we had uh, uh, our, our connections in Australia and our spiritual connections in Australia, they were, they were separate as far as both of us were concerned. We'd, we'd, We'd grown up separately. I'd been I'd been uh, overseas for a long time. We had we had just started to build our lives together, and our lives were building together in in the United States. So we'd come together when we were in Los Angeles, and then moved up um, literally straight after we got married. We had our yeah. honeymoon and moved straight to San Francisco. So this was the the start of our journey together and our spiritual journey. And so the timing of finding. Finding uh, you and finding the, uh, the the center was was perfect, and and the scale of it and the way that it was uh, it, its focus of um, of of connecting um, sort of the 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 wanderers who who made their way to San Francisco um, and and uh, giving them a, a a place to to connect and a place to to uh, um, to learn. Was a uh, was was perfect timing for us as well. Um, it was such a convergence of like people sort of starting their adult life, you know. Yeah. Of course, mid careers and talented and being hired, but sort of right at that time. And I was at. Uh, I mean, I can't take the credit for being some genius visionary. I just had that attitude myself. Like I'm here also trying to figure something out and start something. And I can't say I can totally articulate every part of my vision, but Miriam and I just knew that there were a lot of people going through life that had major aspirations and thought of themselves as somebody who can actually make an impact in their environment and really do something about the world. And when you see something negative, like, okay, what would be my spin to it? So we just felt like there was kindred spirits everywhere. And although it wasn't natural, because here we are, these ultra-Orthodox Kabadniks, you know, me coming out of Brooklyn, but the spirit of, of taking on life was very much all over, uh, over there at the time. And I think that's why that can't be recreated again, because it was a very unique time to be around like-minded people, literally coming without families from all over the world and just descending on this tiny little speck of land in America and San Francisco. And it wasn't political and it wasn't geographical. It was just like, okay, how do we, uh, you know, create something. And what was missing was simply a place where people uh, can fraternize and connect and, and be inspired. So instead of trying to create major programming, I was just like, let's just create a space that people want to come to. And on the most minuscule, small budget, <laughs> we were able to put something together. And it came together because of people like yourselves who were like, you know, let's just add a little bit of our spirit to it. And uh, and see what happens, and something some magical things happened in that moment. So I want to like just know remembering that we had just gotten married. You know, we I don't know we hadn't really formed that real sense of spirituality in Australia, whether it was youth or traveling or whatever. 
And it was so important to have met you at that time because you set us on our journey of like really incorporating God into our life. With Miriam, it was the mikvah, you know, Shabbat with you guys. It was just, it really set the tone of our relationship. So it was a very important moment to to sort of connect with you. I think the other element is, you know, there's something um, very special about building as well, um, a community um, versus joining a community that was already big and established and been around for, for a long time. And there's, there's something, uh, um, there was something, like you said, at a point in, point in time, uh, a, special, a special place, a point in time where, where a young community got together to build, build its community and the type of community that it was looking, looking to be at the time. And, you know, to, to picture that, that, uh, that little space in the middle of North Beach with the cable cars going by and, uh, you know, it was always, uh, you know, particularly during winter, it'd be getting dark early and there'd be that little glow from you'd have to go down those stairs and into the, in, into the space, space below and there would be, there would the be buzz. Your, the buzz and your little community down there and everyone's so happy to see each other um, that it was... Uh, yeah, like you said, a very, a very, uh, a, a very, a very special time, um, and uh, you can't duplicate that. No, I, I've been uh, this year. I took on a personal project um, to study um, uh, specific works from the Chabad Rebbe. So basically, the Chabad Rebbe spoke every Shabbat or most Shabbats or holidays, and sometimes during the week on special occasions for forty plus years. So. I always love that somebody who actually gives wisdom for that long, nobody could really be the foremost expert because you have to unpack 40 years of talks. Uh, it's it happening in live time. So now we're only 20 some odd years removed from these talks. So I have this feeling like if I attack like a certain period or time, maybe there's like subliminal messaging for me and, the, and, and my people uh, that I connect with. And yeah. so I decided to learn my birth year, 1982, and every single week of 1982, every talk, the Rebbe took out a couple of lines to say, don't forget that any Jewish person could write a Torah scroll, anyone. And it, it was like that year, it was the theme. And I'm like, wow, he planted a seed in me that I had no idea was even mine. I was born that year and it was being spoken every year and the energy was clearly in the ear. And even though I myself didn't hear it because I was a baby at home, but now I'm reading it and I'm like, that was the energies around me. That was the spirituality around me was like, hum, I never thought of writing a Torah scroll, but hey, it says in the Torah that each Jew should take ownership of a Torah scroll and it should be theirs. And then when, uh, when you guys lived there and we decided to open up the space, the rabbi study, I, I, I sort of like needed something was off. Okay. We were making a nice room and a nice space and a place for people to come, but there was just something that could have been there and I couldn't figure out what it was. And I had this as crazy as it sounds. I had a dream of me dancing down Lombard street with a Torah. That was my dream. And (laughs) I, I may have not made much of that dream because I don't usually have such spiritual magical dreams, but I, but I had told my grandfather, David Edelman, who was a rabbi in Massachusetts for 70 years, I, I really, he called me to check in on me and I had nothing to tell him. I was like, I had a dream that I'll dance down Lombard Street with a Torah. And, uh, and he starts giggling and chuckling. He's like, I can't wait to be there for you. And in reality, I danced down the Torah with Lombard Street with baby David, this baby named after him. So amazing thing. But 
when we opened the rabbi study, I don't know how this intuition literally jumped out of me that we need to write a Torah scroll as the fun thing to do at the party. <laughs> we're going to have yeah. a, a scribe there and he's going to write a scroll. And you guys were such a big part of that, of that scroll writing and that experience. And uh, so I'm just trying to share with you that there's these intuitive spiritual things that happen to us that were influenced before we can articulate it and before we know it. And then all of a sudden you come somewhere and you're like involved with something, a community, uh, a rabbi study room where people can walk in and be the rabbi and study and take part in it. And you guys were also influenced that way where you're from, from sitting like that. So it was, it was more than just us chance meeting and getting together and building something. It was as if you guys were already cultivating your own sense of leadership in Judaism and in spirituality. That's how I see you guys. Yeah. Oh, thank you, you. You know what? Also, just remembering that I'm so happy and proud that we did do that. We were such a, we were part of that because as you can see, life rolls on and things happen and things become blurry. But when you like harness a moment like that, so specifically, you can stamp your foot in the ground and your mark on this earth in the ground. And then that just has such power that, it takes courage to do that, to jump in that bandwagon and say, we're going to do it. And I feel like that's eternal. I feel so, I feel so happy that we did that. I really do. Because everything else can be blurry, but that's clear. That's specific. Anthony yeah. took such charge. He was like, perfect. I'm doing this. Sign me up. How much <laughs> do I have to? It was like, he, like oh, it just came out. It was ready to go. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I think you'd, you'd channeled you'd channeled. It was just channeling you through through uh, through there. You were you. It was a great thing to do. And what was amazing, I remember that that uh, white party at the uh, at that house in the back garden in San Francisco. Of um, I can't. I don't. Not quite sure whose place it was. But it was that beautiful little back garden uh, right off Lombard Street, where, where Lombard was. Yeah, and our. Uh, and we got to we got to write a letter in the uh, in the Torah with with our uh, with our firstborn. Um, That's right. Got to hold it and and do that. And like Larry said, those those things are just so special. But for the whole community to get to do that, to write letters in into a Torah, and it was such a again, it was a, a, a like a, a bonding moment for that community. A a a. a, um, a, a uh, almost, almost like a rite, rite of passage type of thing for that for that community to to feel that you know bringing to life what you were saying, which is that uh, everybody can write a uh, can 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 write a Torah and you know describe yeah I, that whole through that whole process. I just called the project Legacy. Like each and every person has a legacy. It, it's actually very interesting that Judaism brought this concept to the world. If for us, it takes form in the writing of a Torah, but in its in its like backbone, what it's like, uh, you know, in marketing, you know, what's the inspiration behind it? The inspiration yeah. behind it is that, unlike in, let's say, if God is the God of nature, for example, then you just have to constantly tap into best practices of people who found a way to deal with the natural circumstances, because. This is what it is. You know, we look at the data, we look at history, we look at best practices and we go with it. But the problem with God as nature and just calling it just that is that it stays just that you are not necessarily the person you want to be. You are just the cog in the wheel of nature. 
and perhaps your life is not necessarily meaningful or impactful. Maybe there are select individuals who are capable, or or but, but Judaism is selling like no, no, no. There's infinite value to each person and each moment and how people think and what they do. And the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who was uh, a significant influence and a fellow uh, Oxford-educated uh, uh, individual like yourself, Anthony, and <laughs> he used to say. Why don't we call our God the God of nature? Not, uh, and not, we don't call him the God of nature. We call God the God of history. And what he was saying by that was that unlike uh, the world, which kind of like finites an infinite force, God in Judaism is something that each and every stage of time allows us to be ourselves. Like, okay, now it's our turn. Because if God was the God of just nature and just history and in the, in, the, in the peripheral rear view, then you're just there to perpetuate it. But if God is God of history, then we're making history over longer periods of time. For example, we just had the Purim holiday. The Purim story is a miracle. The Jews were saved. But really, in live time, it wasn't a miracle. It was like seven years of things happening and unfolding. And and this is something that we came to change. Uh, Plato, for example, called time uh, the moving image of eternity. You know, like it's just essentially something you... uh, you use time to measure elapsed moments, yeah. but you look to Judaism at time and it looks at it as like a nuclear force that you un- unleash onto life. Like you take this time, we were in San Francisco writing a Torah scroll, building a little room. It wasn't in context of the universe, but if you think about it, the amount of people that were involved and engaged and that split that moment of time unleashed into their life, a whole new um, form of connection to who they are and what they're about, which unleashes the possibility of something to happen and unfold over time, over history. So for us to call like call God God of history is to send, say like things you know happen over periods of time. So although like there was a small moment in San Francisco that we want to recreate and we feel nostalgic about it, but it's really in the big picture. It's unleashed something that we're going to do in the future that may have still not manifested and still is evolving and opening. And when you can see that, you can start like really zooming out and seeing like how the transformation happened from being a married couple that went off to San Francisco into being people who want to be leaders and affect change. And they just happen over time. It's not one day you have an opinion and then there it is. History is the perspective of things evolving over long periods of time. So I'm still so interested and how this journey happens for not just myself, but all the people who've been through these incredible milestone moments and many more to come. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's, to do, it's very difficult sometimes, like you say, it's from a perspective um, point of view to, um, to understand that you're living through a particular time in history, that one day, you know, 100 years from now, all of these crazy years that we just went through are going to be a little chapter in the history book that kids are going to read about the same way as we read about things from a hundred years ago, um, and uh, you know that will people will flick past the pages and and the 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 thing is you know with with perspective and being able to look back on on history it, it's always a lot more obvious the things that were happening at that particular time. And, and where things sort of led to when you have that hindsight and you're able to look at that. But the magic of the present moment is you've got no idea where, where that's heading. 
Um, and I think that, that that type of thing as well during that time in, in San Francisco and that, that unknown of where things were heading but that excitement of all the different options of where things were heading is, uh, is key to sort of being in that moment because as you move past each moment, the path, um, the path becomes clearer of where that, where that particular time went. Um, but there's something about when you're in that presence and you don't know where those paths can go that sort of brings that brings that to life um, at that time and and makes it something you can't you can't replicate um, because once you know where something led it's a different it's a different memory but that, so yeah. that feeling you have at that point in time can't be replicated because there was that unknown but what's also interesting what remains from when you go through something like San Francisco is that you then have this quality control, like radar, of like what's authentic, what's not. Once you've felt the authentic, once you've felt that power, that magic, then you have that sort of compass of that, I remember that, yeah, that sort of person fits in with that. So it's, it's helped guide us also about who the sort of people we want in our life and what does true authentic spirituality sort of look like and feel like. And if that's, yeah, that's not it. That's yeah. That's it. So it's it's created a bit of a guide for us since then. Bar, this is so important to articulate because if you don't articulate it, you can so easily feel a sense of like uh, of emptiness, and you can't place it. And the emptiness is you don't realize the system you're in. So, for example, when pe- when the Jews were in Egypt, and this is just a metaphor for all slavery and constraints and mental stress of like, they didn't know that this was terrible. They, they had words like we're not in our homeland or our ancestors are, are where, what is our purpose? But as far as they were concerned, the infrastructure was fine. You have a King and you have leaders and everybody's, you know, falls into place into the system. Whereas for us today, we're like, that's not a system that's tyranny. That's, that's a uh, slavery. And, but yet we don't, what system are we in? Where, where are we? And what we really are is in a place where, where we have the ability to contextualize every day and every moment. And that's really why Jewish people are so into history. Even Rosh Hashanah, part of the liturgy is just about like remembrance. The remembrance is not just because we're history buffs. Like it's not just because we want to keep on the knowledge. It's because the history is what releases us from our present challenge. Like if you're in, like, presently in Australia and you're like, oh, I feel constrained, it's actually because you know that you have so much more to give. And then you're like, wait, I have more to give. Well, where do I want to give it? And all of a sudden you're not constrained anymore. You're in a pathway of figuring out where is my real outlet of, uh, of, of animating something and bringing life to it or specific to my talents and tools. So there really is this like incredible importance that Almost everybody I know that lived with me in San Francisco in those years, 80% don't live there anymore. You know, I still go up quite a bit and I still know people there, but the majority of people that were involved with us on a week to week basis, almost day to day basis is, is really, is really, they're not there, but they're not there in a positive way. They're like, they have that moment in time to really bring something to the world that they're in now. And same with you guys, like the engine of, of like, of challenge that you feel of like restraint or the nostalgia, it's actually really like really pushing you constantly. I'm sorry for giving you that guilt that you never feel like you can do enough, but, but, <laughs> but really it's, it's the other way around. It's really like 
This is the this is you guys knowing that there's so much more to be a part of and to contribute and in the little things of hosting, beautification. You know, the Rebbe promised us that this was the age for Jewish abundance. And people may not know this, but Jews have not had abundance for thousands of two thousand years. So what do we do with our abundance is going to be so important in in the future of what Jews are represented like, what we've done with our ability to be involved in society and contextualize our life and grow. And I would say it's a resounding um, awesomeness that has happened because I spent time in San Francisco with a whole community of people in elite tech spe- uh, sectors and in the futuristic entrepreneurial spirit. And and I ended up being able to get as many people as I could possibly could to be involved in something that was grounding in Shabbat or or liberating and legifying in Torah reading and, and Torah writing. And you guys were such a big partnership of that. So I, I'm forever grateful for that type of partnership. And that's what I'm looking for always in life is that partnership to do something with others and not being the rabbi who does it, but the, and not even being the rabbi in Rebetzin who do it, but just like the people who partner with other people to make something beautiful. That is the Jewish way. I think the, the Shabbos were something that were very special. Um, at, uh, at the rabbis uh, studying that and at the and at the center because um, you know when when you'd you'd look down that long table and there were all these people meeting for the first time in many cases um, some people going on to build lives together and uh, um, or, or work together as well and in different ways um, you know, it showed that you know there was a lot of people there that they had. They had a you know um, they had families they had um, they had their friendships they had exciting careers they had um, you know there, there was a lot but there was something that was missing um, in their in their lives and you know it was hard you know it was interesting you know just talking to different people along the way when so many of them would talk about the fact that they didn't realize that this is what they really needed. Um, or what they were really wanting, but it, it provided such a uh, it's provided such a uh, um, uh, a, a spiritual centering for them that uh, that they felt was really important because they were getting you know swept up in the moment of, of the career and the exciting new things that were happening in San Francisco and the tech sector and all of these types of things, but it gave them that opportunity to to sort of slow down and 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 reconnect. And I think it set people on that right balance. Of uh, of um, or always sort of centering back to around okay, building a community and building a family are, are, are such important elements, um, and that was one of the things that I I really enjoyed was just hearing hearing the way people were were um, finding that it gave them that centering uh, as they as they came as they uh, sort of went off on their adventures. Well, you guys are awesome. Thank you for coming on and sharing. Uh some of these experiences is my hope that, the, and the reason why I wanted to share this with you guys was because people need to know that it's not rabbis that make this happen. It's the people who recognize that their skills are not just for income and work. Your skills are there to heal the world. That's what, that's why you were given skills. And then we, we have to monetize them because we have to you know, do what we need to do. And then we need to be really successful because we need to take and transfer that creative currency into something that we can use to do it. But that's the real reason it's there 
the real reason we have all this force and this excitement and the ability to be positive and futuristic and history to contextualize life is to bring healing to yourself and to your families and to your communities. That's what it's really there for. At least that's what Judaism wants us to, to see our skills like. And ever since we've uh, been able to come into the Western world for the first time in a long time, you see the skills that our community and our people have and that when used for the good, it doesn't just make the Jewish community bigger and better. It makes the world a bigger and better place. And so that's really what uh, you guys deserve. Kudos for that. And so many others. I know you're, you, ha- you don't want it to all be on your shoulders, but it is. You guys are amazing. And I want to bless you that uh, in Sydney, you get to feel like you can do that as well. It takes, it takes, but it takes time <laughs> and it takes the God of history to, for it to unpack and to, and to unfold so that you can really see, you know, where you can use your energy and your, and your talents to really affect your community. Thank you, Parrot. So you, you exist like you and Miriam on a daily basis in the way the decisions that I make and the things that I want to be part of and, you know, like even in the, when we were in San Fran, that was the high times. It was great. It was exciting. It was all up, up, up. Well, it's been quite dark. It's been quite down, down, down. And that's been a huge light in keeping me moving forwards, just reflecting and remembering, like getting involved and helping others and that cross-generational thing I'm really interested in. So that's been a huge the way that I've navigated it was reflecting and that history side of it. So thank you. Well, we all go through um, moments where we have this feeling that we want to do something and we can't articulate it. And sometimes the only way to articulate something is in action. And if you can't, if you can't find uh, um, action, well, start doing things that you believe in and see where they snowball. Because our world, ultimately, our thoughts really allow us, they deepen us, but our thoughts betray us a little bit. Because they can go off in wanderings and take us to places. And we need to learn that our thoughts aren't really us. They're a superficial uh, container for our intellect. So that's one, one challenge. And then, you know, our speech can also betray us. I didn't mean to say that. I, I'm tr- I don't even have the words for what I want to say. But in your action, you actually have such a strong power of intention in the action. Because you don't have to do something. So when you do something, it sort of like reinforces the speech and the thoughts, like retroactively. So whenever you, you're at a place where you're like, I'm trying to capture this energy and I can't quite make out what it is, you just pick some, something that's dear to you in an action-oriented way and, and watch it like bring healing to those other parts. And that's, that's, uh, that's kind of, uh, even when we moved to LA, um, I really I had all these things and shortly they didn't work out. Here we are in the pandemic and it all sort of went back to what am I doing? And the hardest part was not being able to do anything in action. My own tools of like, oh, you go out and do something. And, uh, and really what's brought me out of the last two years has been doing these 40 podcasts for my 40th birthday. It's been reconnecting me to all the beautiful people in my life that are important to me and more. And uh, maybe this will just continue and go for but But it's brought so much new life because this is action. This is not speech. This is ultimately like connecting is action. Uh, physical tools, using the computer to connect all over the world. That's action. So that's the, that's the real thing like, uh, that, that I'm hoping for um, post this era and this time is action. And if we don't do action, negative action will happen. So we got to just bring our, our best foot forward and you'll see so many things will open up 
um, in your in your speech and in your mind. And then hopefully we'll all be able to articulate these great dreams that we have uh, to really, uh, you know, beautify and heal the spaces around us. Amazing, Sarah. No, it's a, uh, it, it's a, uh, it, like we say, it was, it was a point in time in San Francisco. It's another point in time now and uh, that we'll look back on and I'm sure we'll have great wisdom in the future looking back on, on these days and what, and what we went through. And, uh, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, you can never put a perspective on a point in time. Well, thank you guys for coming on the Rabbi Barrett's podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Love you guys. Ali Adi, Shabbat Shalom, Parti, Venice, Mechavin, Nagi.